Man, I'm so pumped to be here with you guys. I believe you guys got something awesome in store for us today. Um, today, we close out our summer series for the love of God, um, but you don't wanna miss next week. And next week, Stephen and I and several other guys on staff, we're gonna sit down and we're gonna have a round table conversation about what God taught us this summer. You're gonna get a behind the scenes look at our heart about the way that we ask questions, our struggles, the way that we wrestle with God. You'll even get a sneak peek at mine and Stephen's morning routine. And uh, by that, I mean that he does push-ups and I don't, okay? So that'll be great. Um, but I hit a mean snooze button, so come to learn about that. It's gonna be raw and candid and um, hilarious and hopefully helpful as we uh, drop on you guys what Jesus dropped on us this summer. So invite some friends if you wanna see real Christianity and don't miss next week. It's gonna be a ton of fun. All right, so let me ask you, have you ever said it? Have you ever said it? Like maybe you didn't even mean to say it. Like it just kind of came out. And I know that we're in church and like you're not supposed to say it, but have you ever said it? Half of you guys are like so stressed because you're like, maybe if I knew what it was, I'd tell you if I said it. And the other half are like, ah, it doesn't matter. I got a potty mouth. I probably said it. My people, Okay. <laughs> Have you ever said our series title, For the Love of God, but you inserted an O in front of it, O for the love of God. You ever had one of those moments, one of those days where it was just a for the love of God kind of day? Like maybe somebody cuts you off in traffic for the love of God. Maybe you step on your toddler's toy, oh, for the love of God. You see, I've got a toddler, a two-year-old who, um, uh, she repeats everything you say. So like when I step on, I can't say, oh, for the love of God. I gotta like make up cuss words. Like literally the other day I stepped on one of her to toys. I made up like 16 Christian cuss words because she repeats everything you say. She repeats everything you say so much that uh, my wife and I, the other day, we went out to Mexican food and uh, the next morning for breakfast, Raleigh, my little two-year-old, looks at my wife and goes, mama, are you having a margarita for breakfast? <laughs> I was like, what kind of progressive hippie parenting are we doing around here? Margaritas for breakfast. But she repeats everything, so I can't say, oh, for the love of God, but you want to when you step on your toddler's toy. Or maybe when you walk in your teenager's bedroom, oh, for the love of God. I am convinced that the strongest Christian, a teenage bedroom can make them contemplate atheism, right? You walk in and you just go, how could a good God allow so much laundry? Like, I'm just gonna preach for a second, y'all, this for free. This has nothing to do with where I'm going today, okay? Um, laundry is from the fall, y'all, okay? Like it is straight up from the devil. I just want you to know, I'm preaching, okay? Adam and Eve were naked in the Garden of Eden. When you're naked, you don't need no clothes, which me, leads me to believe laundry is demonic. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Come on. I preached that part of my sermon to Kayla. It was the loudest amen that girl ever gave me, okay? But you've had these moments, right? Something happens, something unexpected, something tragic, something difficult, something hard. And you're just like, man, for the love of God, right? Like somebody runs into you, uh, your brand new parked car in the middle of a parking lot when you're in a hurry for the love of God, just something happens. And it's been my experience that the more people I talk to feel like they're living from one for the love of God moment to the next. They feel like their life is just full of so much busyness, so much hecticness, so much overwhelming things that make them just feel like they gotta throw their hands up in the air and go, oh, for the love of God. 
Just anything can trigger it, right? A fight that you didn't see coming. Somebody makes a comment to you that's backhanded and just, oh, for the love of God. And we feel so overwhelmed. And so today what I wanna do is I wanna help us know how to win in a world that so often overwhelms and makes us question the love of God. Cause that's really what's going on there in like the deep part of our subconscious when we say that. When we say, oh, for the love of God, what we're actually saying is if God loved us, if God was for us, then this thing wouldn't be right in front of us. But what if we knew how to win in a world that so constantly overwhelms? What if we knew that God loved us and was for us? Anybody need that today? Anybody wanna know how to walk in overcoming power? I want for you to turn to your neighbor real quick, touch your neighbor and say, girl, I know you're overwhelmed. Or boy, or whoever it is. And touch him again and say, but today you overcome. That's right, y'all preaching to each other now, I love it. You may be overwhelmed, but today I wanna help you overcome. We're closing out the book of First uh, John and First John, Grandpa John is writing to us. And before I read for you this part of the Bible that's written by Grandpa John, I wanna tell you a little bit about Grandpa John because Grandpa John has seen some stuff, okay? Grandpa John's like that war vet, like he ain't even gotta say nothing. You just know he's been through it. You know what I'm talking about? You see guys like this at McDonald's, uh, like on a Saturday morning, they're wearing their Vietnam veterans hat. They order motor oil to drink. You know what I'm talking about? You seen these fellas, like they've been through it. That's Grandpa John. Okay, Grandpa John was in the trenches. Grandpa John has lived him some life. He has seen some stuff. He knows what it's like to be overwhelmed. Grandpa John went on this wild journey. He lived maybe the three craziest years on the history of planet Earth where he followed this Jewish rabbi as he became the most celebrated Christian celebrity of all time, oh, and the son of God. Grandpa John watched as this little movement grew into something that changed the face of the earth. And he watched as thousands of people would show up to hear Jesus speak. And he had to herd crowds of people, shuffle them around. And he watched as Jesus performed miracles and silenced crowds. He stood on the front lines of intense religious debates as Jesus challenged the norms of religion. And he was in the mix. He was in the flow. He was caught up in this crazy movement with so many moving parts. And then he watched as things took a sudden turn of events and his best friend and his, and his leader was suddenly taken hostage. He was imprisoned, he was tried, and then he was publicly executed. Could you imagine how John must have felt? How overwhelmed John must have been as Jesus hanging on the cross looks at him and goes, hey, now my mom is your mom, you take care of her. Could you imagine the pressure of that? John knows what it's like to be overwhelmed. After Jesus is executed, John heads for the hills because the Roman government tries to extinguish Jesus' followers from planet Earth. And John watches as 11 of his closest friends die for their faith. And then John, he, he plants and he pastors multiple churches, none of which have the YouVersion Bible app or worship leaders with skinny jeans. Could you imagine pastoring a church without a worship leader with skinny jeans? No thanks. He's overwhelmed. He feels the weight and the pressure of life. Then church history has it that John is poisoned. He is then excommunicated to an island called Patmos where he lives in a cave and then is boiled alive but continues to preach from the pot. I think John knows what it's like to feel overwhelmed, right? All of a sudden, shopping for school supplies doesn't feel so daunting. 
Like, I feel like I can go find a three-ring binder in Jesus' name. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got this, if that's what John has been through. And so John knows what it's like to live in a world that constantly overwhelms. And he writes to you and me so that we can overcome. Check out what he says. First John chapter five, he says this, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. I want for you to think about this for a second. Your birthright is to overcome. Your inheritance is to overcome. Your last name is an overcomer. Jesus died so that overcoming blood could run through your veins. Let that sink in for a moment. That the same power that raised Jesus victoriously from the dead is alive in you. So you've got overcoming blood running through your veins. It's not just something that you do. It's who you are. Everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. It's your birthright. But if we're honest, many of us don't feel like it's our birthright. We don't feel like we're overcoming. We are overwhelmed. We are overwhelmed. Like, let's just do it for a second. Are you overwhelmed by comparison? I know I am. Are you overwhelmed by comparing your life to your real life to everybody else's highlight reel on Instagram? I'm preaching for somebody right now. Are you overwhelmed by comparing your kitchen and your car and your kids to HGTV and Aisha Curry's Instagram? Because they're not gonna match up. Or do you have this overcoming level of being content where you're pumped when your friend is going car shopping and you're not? Are you overwhelmed or are you overcoming the curse of comparison? What about the lies and labels that the world throws on you? Are you overcoming? Are you walking so confident in your calling, so sure of who you are, no doubts, no questions, totally secure? Or are you overwhelmed by feeling like you're not good enough? not parenting good enough, not wifing good enough, not providing good enough, that you're not smart enough, you're not talented enough, you're not thin enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not hip enough, style enough, stylish enough, trendy enough, don't have enough shiplap enough to make it. Do you feel overwhelmed? Why is it that we leave Sunday just fired up for our faith only to feel the weight and worry of the world crash down on us on Monday morning? Why is it that we can leave out here so sure that God is love, so sure that we're gonna love the world, so sure that we're gonna overcome only to be overwhelmed? It seems like we have fallen into this pattern of allowing ourselves to get so overwhelmed by the weight and the worries and the pressures of the world that what happens is we just fall victim to the epidemic of anxiety, to the epidemic of apathy, of okay, I guess I'll just let my life be lulled to sleep by Netflix and Facebook because I can't overcome, I'm so overwhelmed. But what if you could overcome? I want for you to imagine what if you could overcome what if you could overcome that pressure to look a certain way and parent a certain way and talk a certain way and drive a certain car and live in a certain house and wear certain clothes? What if you could overcome? What if you could overcome that sin, that secret sin, 
that you've been battling that temptation that you've been losing to for years. Every Sunday you leave and I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. I'm not gonna fall victim again. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take care of it. But by Monday night, you feel just entangled in it, wrapped up in it all over again, whatever it may be. What if you could overcome that sin? What if you could overcome your past? What if you could overcome the pain? What if you could overcome the hurt and the disappointment that creeps to the surface so often and holds you back from making yourself vulnerable, from experiencing relationship, from being honest, from living your life? What if you could overcome? I think sometimes the problems in our lives get so big that we lose sight of the promise that God has made with us, the promise that he has given us a game plan, he has given us a weapon to fight with, he has given us the thing that we need to ensure victory to overcome. And it's our faith. Look at what he says, 1 John 5, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. The victory, the thing that makes you victorious, that allows you to not be overwhelmed by the weight of the world, but to overcome the pressures, the, the pressures and the stressors of the world is our faith. It says the victory is our faith. The word there is Nikeo. Let me hear you say Nikeo. It's where we get our word Nike from. Now, I want for you to think about Nikes for a second. Okay, go with me on this. Let's be real. Every little boy in the room, the child inside of you, just come out for a second. Go back to when you were like 11, 12 years old, right? And you were so convinced that if you could get some Nikes, you could fly like Mike, right? You with me? Like you just knew, like if I could get that pair of shoes, some Air Force Ones, if I could get some Nike Air Maxes, if I could get them, then I would be able to, like I would be able to shoo, I would be able to dribble, I would be able to run a little faster, stand a little taller, and then I finally make the team, right? Like you just had this belief that the Nikes could do it. Like I remember one time, like I didn't make a basketball team and I blamed it on the Reeboks, right? <laughs> I never bought Reeboks again. Because there's this belief that the coolest sneakers, that the Nikes could somehow give us victory. This is actually the reality of our faith. Our faith is like spiritual Nikes. Our faith should cause this rewiring of our brain to take place where all of a sudden we believe in what once seemed impossible. Our faith should redefine reality. It should open the door for supernatural ability for us to take the obstacles of life and overcome them victorious through our faith. We're victorious through our faith. It is the weapon that God has given us to fight with. It is the way that we overcome. But so often we don't tap into it. We don't get access to it. We don't live in it the way that we're supposed to. And you see, faith is the thing that moves the needle for Christians. I wanna show you something crazy, okay? Because we don't make a big enough deal about faith. Faith, you see a lot of people like, what you would love to do, because I stressed you out earlier about all the stresses that you're dealing with. Um, you'd love it if I got up here and I'd give you some practical wisdom. If I tell you what to do. If I give you six tips to make your life better. If I got up here and I brought like some financial guru, taught you how to manage your finances brought some parenting expert, taught you how to uh, have your kids drink margaritas for breakfast, right? Like, it'd be awesome if I got an expert up here and taught you some practical tips to help you not be stressed. But the thing about faith is that faith takes you to a place that no pep talk, that no practical advice ever can. Faith takes you to a place where God steps in, where God intervenes, where God shows up, where God begins to work, where God walks into the situations, that's what faith does. And so faith becomes the essence of what we need to focus on. You see, it's not about figuring out how to do things better, it's figuring out how to believe more. 
I wanna show you something crazy, okay? So and this changed my life in the way that I, I thought about following Jesus. And um, John writes it in the Gospel of John. John and his 11 friends, they ask Jesus this question. It's a crazy question. They asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. The work of the Christian, of the Jesus follower, like the work that you need to put in is to believe. You see, you're focused so much on behaving. How do I be better? Act better. How do I clean up myself? We're focused on morality and mission and money when what God wants you to work on is belief. You see, we're so concerned with, all right, how do I put myself together, tie my shoes right, pull myself up by my bootstraps, do the right thing, and God's gonna be like, no, 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 you got it all wrong. Stop focusing on what you're doing. Start focusing on what you're believing. The work of the Christian is to believe. Like, and this is work. Belief is work. And so often we make it this like light, fluffy, mystical thing. Just believe. No, 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 no. Work to believe. When you don't believe, labor to believe. We've got to fight to believe. We've got to fill ourselves up with belief. Like the reason that I, I wake up in the morning and I desperately search the scriptures is to fill my tank with belief. When I'm praying, it's not so that I can move the heart of God, it's so that God can move my heart and help me to believe. The reason that I sing worship songs, like not just in here, but in my car and in my house, in my office, is because there are times where my heart doesn't believe and I need music some way to help me believe. We've got to work to believe. We've got to get in the trenches of making deposits into our belief so that it can uh, make a return of investment on, on faith so that we've got enough faith to feel us and move us forward. And I'm preaching way better than y'all are responding right now. Y'all gotta come with me on this. Y'all have got, got to, we together as a church, man, we've gotta focus on how do I believe more, not on how do I behave better. I can tell you that every broken behavior in your life can be connected back to a failure to believe, a lack of belief, belief in the wrong thing, belief in the wrong way. What you need today to keep you from being overwhelmed by the world is not a better way to behave, but it's bigger belief in a bigger God who's able to step in and who's able to save. We've gotta focus on filling up the tank with belief. The sauce of Jesus following comes down to faith. It's all about faith. Faith, 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 faith. Hebrews 11 is the, like the chapter of faith in the Bible. And I love the way that faith gets defined there. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is being sure of what I hope for and it's being convicted of things that I do not see. And so I've got a definition for you of faith that I hope makes it tangible for you. This is faith. Faith is a settled confidence in the goodness of God, even when I can't see it or feel it. It's a settled confidence in the goodness of God, even when I can't see it or feel it. It's, I'm sure what I hope for. I'm sure I hope in the goodness of God, even when I can't see it or feel it. And I love that word settled, right? 
Like the conversations happened, the argument's been settled. It's predetermined. It's decided beforehand. I've settled into it. I've got this confident settling where I've just, I've, I've planted my feet firmly in the goodness of God, even when I can't see it and even when I can't feel it. I've just decided beforehand. And this is so important to, to confidently settle in. Like it's important in athletics, it's important in fighting, right? To settle in confidently to something. You know, so much of fighting comes down to posture. So much of fighting comes down to posture. Like we think that it's about strength, but what it's actually about is Posture. Like, have you ever seen those videos, those crazy YouTube videos where there's, there's this like little Chinese Asian girl and she's like four foot one and she's like 22 pounds soaking wet. And like with her pinky, she breaks a cinder block. Y'all ever seen like one of those videos? All right, y'all need to scour the internet more. Okay, it's a cool place. <laughs> so they're out there, okay? And how can she do that? Is it because she's stronger than me? Well, maybe, I don't know. But like, what I do know is that it comes down to posture, that the way that she's holding her arm, that her attack angle, that it's all about posture and her posture gives her the ability to break something that seems much stronger than her. Uh, Floyd Money Mayweather, anybody ever heard that name? Floyd Money Mayweather. Floyd Money Mayweather is quite possibly the greatest boxer of our generation, quite possibly. He is 50 and 0. He has career earnings of $1 billion. He made that money punching people. I want his job. <laughs> Floyd Money Mayweather, um, the interesting thing about him, he's 50 and 0, never lost a fight. He's what they call a counter puncher. And so his game plan, his strategy, his posture is to settle in confidently and wait for things to come his way. And what he's going to do is he's going to use the momentum of the other fighter against them. So that as the other fighter comes to punch Floyd, Floyd uses that trajectory to punch that other fighter in the face. Our faith comes down to posture. What faith ultimately does is it postures you. It postures you in a position where you go, I'm standing firm in the goodness of God in such a way that no matter what the world tries to throw at me, I am postured to use the things that the enemy wanted to use for evil for good. I will allow God to take the momentum of the world, all of it, and I will turn it for good. I will punch back, use it against it because I'm standing in a posture of faith. Don't you wanna live this way? Don't you wanna be able to stand confidently and go, okay, pain, come on. God's gonna use it for purpose. Obstacles, come on, and now it's an opportunity. You wanna hurt me, world? God's gonna use it for healing. That's what faith does. Faith makes up a mind where it goes, no matter what comes my way, I've determined that God is good and will use this for my good and for his glory. I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know in what way, but it is this, man, how freeing is that? How freeing of a life would it be to know that no matter what the world throws at you, that God is gonna use it for your good? That's what faith does. It's, it's such, such a confidence that God is bigger, that God is better, that God is in control. And I've got this posture where I am ready. Diagnosis, I am ready. Financial collapse, I'm ready. Problem in my family, I'm ready. You see, we get so overwhelmed because we don't have the right posture of being ready to believe that God is good before the bad comes. And when the bad comes, what happens is you start to walk by your feelings when what you're called to walk by is your faith. We've got to learn to walk by faith, not by feelings. But we've got to decide beforehand that God is good. Now, I know what some of you guys are thinking. You're like, whoa, Joey, I don't have that kind of faith. 
I don't have an overcoming faith. To be real, I've got like a struggling faith. I've got like a doubting faith, a tired faith, uh, hanging on by a thread, living on a prayer Bon Jovi kind of faith. Like I got a struggling faith. Well, I got good news for you this morning is if you got any faith at all, you're in good shape. Jesus says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can, lo- you can move mountains. That if your faith is as small, now I'll be real, I've always hated that scripture because I'm like, how big is a mustard seed, right? Who's ever seen one of those? I never knew what it was. But what Jesus is talking about is he's actually not talking about the size of your faith or the size of the mountain. He's talking about what your faith is in. And if your faith is in God, God is big enough to move mountains, even in light of your little faith. That's good news this morning. So you can have just a little bit of faith. You can have a struggling faith. You can have a tired faith because if your faith is in the right thing, then it's big enough to move mountains. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is found in the book of Mark, Mark um, chapter nine. And um, there's this guy and he, uh, his son is sick. And he comes to Jesus and he's like, Jesus, will you please heal my son? Like my son is sick, like I need you to heal him. And Jesus makes this unbelievable statement to him. He says, anything is possible for those who believe. And then I love the guy's response. It's so real. The Bible's so real, so gritty. He goes, Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. He's got this 50-50 faith. This like, I, I, I do believe, like I wanna believe. I think I believe maybe sort of, but then I kind of doubt too. I kind of don't know if you can do it. I'm kind of a skeptic. I'm kind of a cynic. I've kind of got these reservations and hesitations about whether or not you're gonna come through. He's got a 50-50 faith. I believe, but help my unbelief. And in the midst of his 50-50 faith in that very moment, Jesus heals his son. So you can have a 50-50 faith that goes, I'm, I'm, I'm unsure, I don't know, but I wanna know as much as I can know and I'm gonna have as much faith as I can have and I'm gonna ask God to fill in the gap and God will come through in the midst of your 50-50 faith because he's that big of a God, that big of a God. Now, there's so much about faith that I can't answer if I can be real. Like there's so much about faith that I don't understand. Like I don't understand why that guy in that story's son gets healed with 50-50 faith and you feel like you're all in and God's not coming through for you. I, I have that same struggle with faith where currently in my life, I'm praying for something. I'm asking God for something. I'm doing everything I know to do to have faith, but it doesn't feel like God is coming through for me. Doesn't feel like he's showing up. Anybody ever felt that way and wondered, God, where are you? I'm, I don't know what else to do. I'm, I'm taking the steps that I think I'm supposed to take for faith, but you're not coming through for me. Why would you come through for that guy? I think what happens, I don't know this for sure, but I think possibly sometimes we might confuse faith and we might believe this, this kind of, this subtle lie about faith that if we have enough of it, that God's gonna always give us what we want. Just because you have enough faith does not mean that God is always going to give you what you want. You see, the problem happens when we confuse God's faithfulness, the promises that he's gonna keep for us with promises that he's never made. See, oftentimes we get frustrated with God and think that he's not faithful and that our faith isn't working because he's not delivering on promises that in all actuality, he's never made. God's never promised you to get married. He's never promised you children. 
He's never promised you to live in a nice house in the perfect neighborhood. He's never promised you material wealth. He's never promised you that your life would be easy. He never promised you that you would be comfortable. He never promised you that you would always be healthy. He never promised you any of those things. And when you mistake the things that he hasn't promised you for the things that he has, you have positioned yourself to allow the world to overwhelm you. Because a faith collapses when you don't believe that the God that you have faith in is faithful. But what you need to do is you need to, I need to open my eyes for a second and realize I'm trusting in promises that he's never made. And the promises that he has made are actually so much better than the ones that he hasn't delivered on that I want him to. Do you know the things he's promised you? He's promised to comfort you in the midst of your difficulty. He's promised to bless you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's promises to be faithful, to finish the work that he started in you. He promises to never leave you or forsake you. He promises to strengthen you with power from on high. He promises to give you an inheritance. He promises to be on your side. He makes so many promises to give you rest, to provide for your needs and to be with you. And if you would realize that those are the promises that you have faith in, man, that would cause you to no longer be overwhelmed and overcome by the things that he hasn't delivered on because he never promised them in the first place. In the last book of the Bible, we get this, um, this crazy statement from John. He writes the last book of the Bible, Revelation as well. And um, he lets us in on some ingredients that can fuel our faith that can give us the kind of faith that actually overcomes. Check it out, Revelation chapter 12. He's looking, it's this vision of the future where he's looking back on Christians, on fathers of Jesus, on the church, and he's saying this is the way that they overcame. And he said they overcame him being the enemy, the world, because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. There are these two ingredients that when put into our faith, fuel our faith so that it actually allows us to overcome. And it's the blood of the lamb and it's the word of their testimony. And I wanna spend the rest of our time together just talking about those two things to try to fuel your faith. So let's go to the blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb is all about Jesus. The blood of the lamb is all about the cross. The blood of the lamb is all about who God is, that he became the lamb of God, the sacrifice for mankind, that he stood in our place and that he took our sin. I love the way that first John talks about it in chapter four. He says, um, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? The person who believes that Jesus is the son of God, the lamb of God, the, the, the blood that washes away our sins, the person who believes that is the person who overcomes the world. And what John is trying to do, what, the way that he's trying to feel our faith is he's trying to make sure that we have our faith in the right thing, right? You ever had your faith in the wrong thing ever, potentially, possibly? I remember one time I was a little kid, I was about seven years old, eight years old maybe, um, and there was this little girl in my neighborhood and I was crushing on her, okay? I fell in love like at a very early age. I came out the womb and I was like, where's my wife, all right? So... I was like seven, eight years old and I'm like riding this bike and there's this girl I'm crushing on and like I see her and I've been like working up the courage to talk to her. So I'm riding the bike and I like wave at her and she doesn't wave back and then I run into a light pole, right? 
My faith was in the wrong, my faith was in me and it should have been in like paying attention to the road, right? And you put your faith in the wrong thing and you'll run into some stuff. If your faith isn't in the son of God, if it isn't in Jesus and who he is and what he's done and what he's accomplished, your faith is in the wrong thing. There is no other name that saves other than the name of Jesus. If your faith is in your works, your morality, your church attendance, your good behavior, if it is in your career, your bank account, your net worth, your ability, your agility, your strength, that faith is not gonna be one that saves, not gonna be one that overcomes. It will only take you as far as whatever that thing that you have your faith in can carry you. But think for a second about how far the Son of God, the blood of the Lamb can take you. Think about who he is and what he's done because that's where he can take you. Jesus, he's the God who calmed the storms on the seas. He's the God who walked on water. He's the God who spit on some mud, put it on some dude's eyes, all of a sudden he could see, called the lamb to walk. The one who healed a woman who'd had this issue of blood for seven years and at this same exact intersection, healed a little girl, called her to raise from the dead who was seven years old. He's the God who goes to the cross. Think about, think about the way that Jesus overcome the cross. I would have been overwhelmed by the cross. I couldn't have hung with the cross, right? I couldn't hang when my dad gave me a spanking. There was no way I was making it through the cross. No way. Think about, he's got to deal with the betrayal of his friends. They abandon him. They leave him. People are hurling insults at him. They're pulling out his beard, spitting in his face. I'd have tapped. I'd have given up. I'd have been overwhelmed. Jesus on the cross, it says he could have called down legions of angels to rescue him. To just be like, all right, they don't want me. They're still talking trash to me. I'm out. I'd have, I'd have been overwhelmed. But Jesus overcame the cross. And when he overcame the cross because of his blood, that is perfect blood, that is sinless blood, that is spotless blood, that is innocent blood, that is holy blood, his blood overcomes the grave, overcomes sin, overcomes hell, overcomes the devil, overcomes the enemy and his schemes to steal, kill, and destroy you. He's overcome death. That's our God. That's who we have our faith in. That's the place that you need to place your faith in him. And when you think about him and who he is and what he's done and what he's accomplished, that he's calmed waves and walked on water and defeated death, all of a sudden, your tax problem don't look like such a big deal. Right? Like it, it just starts to collapse under the beauty of who he is, right? All of a sudden it's like, man, I can, I can ask him for the things that I need and I can believe that he is bigger than my problem. You see, way too many of us, we've got problems that are way too big and a God that's way too small. And we've got this God, this Jesus, who's the son of God, who's overcome death, hell, the devil, the grave, all of humanity. He's been tempted in every way, just like you, the Bible says. He's experienced the hurts, the temptations, the emotions, the frustrations, the opportunities to doubt, didn't give in to any of them, went to the cross, secured death for you and me. The blood of the lamb fuels our faith. That's the God that's on our side. And then we've also got the word of the testimony. Word of the testimony is really twofold. The first is very practical for us today, it's community. The word of their testimony would be community. When you get around other people, you hear the word of their testimony. You get to hear about how they're following God and what God's doing in their life and how God is showing up and how God has proven faithful. You get to hear about how they're experiencing God's presence, how God is loving on them and showing them who they are and who he is. Like I need that in my life. 
Like I, I, I say this all the time. I believe that God placed me in ministry because if I wasn't so saturated in Christianity 24 seven, that I'd go off the deep end, okay? I need to be around guys who like were praying every day and always reading the Bible and always singing worship songs. Because if I wasn't in, in that space that much, hearing the word of other people's testimony, I'd just be like, God, where are you? I'd be like David. And so he put me in ministry so that I could be surrounded by people. And you need that. You need to be surrounded by other Jesus followers who can strengthen and feel your faith, who can remind you of God's faithfulness when you don't have the strength to believe, who can point to your past and go, hey, I know you're concerned about your future, but just think about how good he was to you back here. Think about how he came through for you back here. Think about how he stood by your side back here. Don't you think he's got your back up ahead? You need that. And so I'm telling you, man, we're getting ready to relaunch groups and get that back going. And if you are not in a group, you are missing out. That, that's why you're overwhelmed. You feel like you don't have time for it. You feel like you're too busy for it. You feel like you can't put it on your schedule. Well, you'll keep being overwhelmed until you make community a priority. And when you make community a priority, you're gonna feel the fire of your faith, man. And you're gonna get your eyes back on the greatness of God. But there's this second part of the word of their testimony and it's story, it's story. As we hear stories about the greatness of God, it causes us to have this faith that becomes ignited and believing. So I just wanna tell you two stories from the Bible real quick that hopefully paint pictures for you of the kind of faith that actually overcomes the world. The kind of faith that keeps you from being overwhelmed by the world. The first one's found in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, um, verse eight, by faith, let's say that together. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. This is the kind of faith that overcomes the world. Faith ignites action. So often we just think about faith as belief, as an intellectual ascent, but what faith actually does is it motivates you to move. If the faith that you have doesn't motivate you to move, it might not actually be faith. Faith motivates Abraham to move and it motivates him to go to a place that he does not know. And that's the exact kind of faith that we need in American Christianity, in 2019 Christianity, a kind of faith that causes us to go to where we do not know. You see, our, our faith, our Christianity is calculated. It's comfortable, it's predictable. We've got a plan and a fallback plan and a backup plan for our backup plan. We assess the situation, analyze the risk, and if it's safe, we'll go, we'll make the move, we'll take the job, we'll have the conversation, right? We play it so safe, evaluate it. Could, could I bring Jesus up in this conversation? What would this cost me? Will it work out? Will they be receptive? And if they won't, then it's a risk analyzer, doesn't work, and I go on to the next thing. But what we need is the kind of faith that says, no, I'm gonna go without knowing. Abraham, like when the story is actually told in Genesis, God says, hey, Abraham, I want you to start walking. Abraham goes, God, where do you want me to start walking? He goes, I just walk. Just start walking, put one foot in front of the other, see where it leads you. You see, we've got this insatiable need to know where we're going. Guys, are you with me? When you're driving down the road and like, she's trying to tell you which way to turn. And I'm like, baby, hand me the phone. She's like, Siri will tell you. I was like, no, I will tell me, right? I gotta know which way to go. But faith is being comfortable with just God knowing where you're going and you not knowing where you're going. It's this willingness to move, to step forward, to move into something that's unknown, that feels scary and just trust him. Doesn't that help you to not be overwhelmed? to not have to have this five-year plan, to not have to have it all figured out, to not have the answer to every question, to not have to have enough money in your bank account, to not have to have all these things that the world tells you that you need to achieve and succeed because you're just going, you don't know wherever God tells you. And so I've just got enough for the journey. 
because I'm just going where he tells me. You see, so many of us, we freeze. We just get frozen right before there's this thing that feels scary, that feels unknown, that feels like we're stepping into these other uncharted waters. We just get overwhelmed. And what the world would love to do is it would love to freeze you and keep you from operating in faith. And one of the most scary moments in life is that moment right before you jump, right before you jump out of the known and into the unknown. You see, we have, we've turned our faith into like a roadmap when what it should actually be is like a parachute, okay? A parachute. And I, it's not, not a parachute that is an unplanned parachute. That overwhelms, right? What faith actually does is it takes something that is normally overwhelming, jumping out of an airplane and using a parachute, and it turns into something that's actually overcoming, skydiving when you plan to use the parachute. Anybody ever been skydiving before? Anybody? All right, y'all need to live more, okay? Get out there, it's a great world. I remember the first time I went skydiving. I was so confident, so confident that I was gonna be unafraid. I was gonna be brave, I was gonna risk it, no big deal, so confident. And then I pulled in the parking lot. All of a sudden, not as brave as I thought I was. And so I walk up, I'll never forget it, me and some of my friends, and we're gonna go skydiving. And this first gentleman that I see, I gotta tell you guys that the, the breed of human that chooses that as a career path, they're a different kind, okay? And so I walk up and there's this gentleman and he's got a massive beard and it's braided, okay? And I immediately didn't trust him. <laughs> and I gotta tell you that if you've got a braided beard this morning, I don't trust you either, okay? <laughs> and so this guy with the braided beard, this braided bearded fella is packing the parachute. And I don't trust him. And as I get closer, I realize that he is smoking something. The world's largest joint ever, okay? And um, this guy's packing my parachute. And so I'm like, whoa, guys, like, I don't know. Maybe this isn't a great idea. Maybe we should rethink this. Maybe like, I don't want to die. I don't know, right? And um, so, you know, we go through the whole process and I'm trying to work up the courage. And sure enough, I'm paired up with braided bearded fella. And, um, he, you know, when you go uh, skydiving the first time, it's tandem. And so like all that's attaching me to him is like this, made in China, 599 carabiner, keeping me from plummeting to my inevitable death. And so we get like linked up and they kind of show you everything to do and they talk you through the process. And when you get up there, what you're supposed to do before you, when you get to the edge of the airplane, you're supposed to cross your legs and you're supposed to fold your arms and you're supposed to crouch down. And when it comes ready, you're supposed to, you know, click, click, tap, tap, and go, lean forward. And that's what they tell you that you're supposed to do. And so, you know, it gets my turn to jump out of the airplane. And sure enough, I cross my legs and I fold my arms, but there's no click, click, and there's no tap, tap. I'm just standing there, just looking. And then, you know, eventually like I work it up and just something happens and I go, okay, let's do this, right? Like I click, click, tap, tap, and I go. And as soon as I fall out of that airplane, all the fear vanishes. I'm falling through the air. It's awesome. I'm like Superman. I'm just loving it, just screaming, right? No fear at all. Like I, at one moment, the guy goes, hey, let's go. We're gonna go through that cloud and make like a rainbow portal. What? Yes, let's do it, right? We go through the rainbow portal. I'm like, heaven, Jesus. It was crazy. I think many of us are like standing on the edge of living this life that we were created for, this life that feels like we are flying through the air, experiencing the unknown, experiencing the miraculous, total freedom. And what God is waiting is just for that and go. 
but we're so concerned with knowing and what he wants is he wants to give you this faith that's a parachute that makes you comfortable with the uncomfortable that embraces living a life that looks so crazy to the outside world. What's your, what's your big step? What's your skydiving moment? What's your parachute? That's what your faith needs to be, the thing that moves you forward. That's what this world needs to see, not calculated Christianity, but faith-filled Christianity. One more story. It's found in the book of Daniel and and there are these group of guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And King Nebuchadnezzar has issued this command. He set up this image of gold, okay? It's 90 foot high, 90 foot wide. And he's issued this decree that anytime music is played, that everybody needs to stop, bow down, and worship the image of gold that he set up. And he says that if you don't, then I'm gonna throw you in a firing furnace and you're going to die, okay? That's the background of our story. Watch what happens. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. They said, we're not gonna bow down. We're not gonna do it. I'm not gonna bow down to the things that you tell me I need to bow down to. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver. The problem's big, but their God is bigger. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. I love this part. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up. The kind of faith that you need that actually overcomes the world is the kind of faith that believes that salvation is certain, but it might not happen this side of eternity. That God is gonna rescue you, that he's gonna show up. The kind of faith you need is this uncommon confidence that God's gonna come through, but that even if he does not, I'm not bowing down to what the world tells me because all that guarantees is that I'll be overwhelmed. It can never deliver. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they've got a God who's bigger than a 90 foot high and 90 foot wide image of gold. Who's better than a 90 foot high and 90 foot wide image of gold. There are places in your life that the world is begging you to bow down to, begging you to worship, begging you to give into. You gotta have a faith that's bigger, that's better, and that says, even if he does not come through, I'm not bowing down because he's worth it in the end. He's my prize, he's my treasure, and he's enough. And then watch what happens. King Nebuchadnezzar looks into the fiery furnace and he says, I see four men walking around in the fire unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. The reason that you and I need a faith that causes us to step into the fires, because that's where Jesus is. That's where Jesus shows up. And Jesus never promised for you to live a comfortable life and that he would cause you to walk on your therapeutic mattress. Jesus has called you to live a courageous life fueled by faith. And in the fire, in the difficulty, in the struggle, he's there. He gets to elevate his name. He gets to strengthen you and carry you and be with you even when it's difficult. That's the faith that overcomes. The faith that steps into the fire knowing that he's there and knowing that he's enough. We need that kind of faith today. A risk the ocean, step into the fire, walk out on the waves kind of faith one that is bold and daring and comfortable with the uncomfortable. That is the faith that overcomes, not the one that is comfy, cozy, and convenient. And so my prayer for us today is that God would expand our faith, that he would grow our faith, that he would increase our faith, and that faith would be the posture that we operate from. Let's pray. Jesus.
I love you. And I'm so grateful for your word and for the grace that is the faith that you've given us. Such a grace, such a gift. The ability to believe that you're good, the ability to know who you are, the ability to know that you're for us. The fact that we've got this faith that fuels us in the midst of our insecurities, in the midst of impossibilities, in the midst of doubt and despair, that we've got faith that shifts our perspective, faith that changes how we see, faith that moves circumstances that once would crush us into opportunities that now strengthen us. God, I pray that we would be a church full of faith. God, I pray that we would have faith in the right promises, the promise that you would always be with us, that you'll comfort us in the midst of difficulty and that you will never leave us, even when we step into the fire. God, increase our faith. I ask it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. I invite you to stand as we sing this song of faith.